So maybe you're a crazy person like me who has over 400 Marines and you want to name them all. Or maybe you love creating new characters for D&D. Or maybe you just really like learning the meaning and origins behind some of your favorite nerdy character names from pop culture. Well then, it sounds like you need Naming Your Little Geek by Scott Root. This is an incredibly fun and easy read. It taught me not only is Ulrich the name of a war god, but also a Sith master. It also comes with one more added benefit. It's a great resource for naming your babies. Follow the link in the description below and pick up your copy of Naming Your Little Geek today. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Point Orc, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. Oh boy, that darkest timeline joke vacillates between ha-ha, funny, and oh god, what are we... What, are, is this even a joke anymore? Yeah, but you've mentioned that so many times at this point, I feel like you should just, just lean into it, just let it go. It just is. That's why I keep it. Is it? It's like there's a rising level. It's like, I'm not amused with this joke anymore. I don't like it. And then the nihilism kicks in. It's like, no, no, I like the joke again. And the cycle resets. Yeah, I never have a problem with it. So it works well for me. Uh, it just tells you about the state of things that I've I, I've reached this cycle so many times. Yeah, for me, it's not a cycle. I just basically live at the bottom of the the, the happiness well. So, or you said the depression well, whatever you want to call it. So, I never go the up and down, just stay down. I'm sorry, I just imagined you in the bottom of a well and me throwing rocks at you. That sounds about right. Come on, do something. Don't just sit there, it's boring. Anyway, outside <laughs> of the metaphor of my rapidly deteriorating mental health, how are you doing? Uh, it has been a day for idiots. Like, Fair just enough. in all, all aspects of my dealings, I have dealt with massive idiots. I have been receiving updates all day because, as you know, I love the Netflix show Love, Death, and Robots. Yeah. They dropped the most recent trailer, and it looked good. And I said, hey, cool. This looks better than last season. There's multiple art styles, which is an improvement over last season. I just wish it was more than, you know, nine episodes because it's really kind of short when it's only five-minute episodes. Mm -hmm. All day, I'm getting little pop notifications. Don't you know how long it takes to make animation? You should be grateful that it's this long. And it's like, oh, God, guys, I recognize it takes time to produce animation. I, I really do. But your first season was 20 episodes. These are multiple art studios. If you got to keep it in the oven a little bit longer to get to more than nine episodes, I'm not going to complain. I'm not saying they have to. It was just idiots yelling at me all day. Okay. I'm sorry that you had to experience that. <laughs> but it was, that's not the worst thing. That was just like the miners things like good god what has the internet done to people anyways that's my petty grievance for the day got yelled at by jackasses that i don't appreciate the difficulty of animation <laughs> i'm not touching that one i was a Steven <laughs> universe fan i am a berserk fan and i am used to waiting for long periods of time for things so <laughs> yeah i mean it's like three years between season one of love death and robots and season two I mean, Netflix has a weird rubber band release schedule anyways, but we're getting off topic because I have theories about Netflix and their recent everything's getting pushed up, like Cobra Kai dropping three months early. I haven't even seen the latest season yet, and I love Cobra Kai, so I just haven't got around to it. Oh, that's good. But anyways, we're off topic. You're miserable in the bottom of the well. I'm harassed by idiots. Does that summarize our current state of being? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a phrase that kept going through my head, but I was like, I feel like if I say that, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the depression thing too hard and won't be funny. So it's just been <laughs> swirling in my head, but I'm gonna keep it there. So save the joke for the right time. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, quote unquote joke. Anyways, let's get back on topic with the people that give us money to hear our inane ramblings and don't yell at me endlessly about how I don't appreciate animation. They are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brendan Agnew, John Vittles, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donna Lucy, Nathan Willis, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mel, Scott Rubin, and Derek Takade. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion and pay a dollar to yell at me about how I don't appreciate animation, <laughs> head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. 25 cents an episode means we can produce the podcast on a week-to-week basis, as well as putting out extra content on top of the weekly content we already produce, because we don't got enough plates spinning. All right, so on a more positive note, hopefully, what are we talking about today? Uh, This is one we've kind of been kicking around the background for a while. I don't know why we haven't done it sooner. Oh, actually, anyways, we're going to do an indie game roundup, and I'm putting big, giant, massive quotation marks around the word indie game. Yeah, I would say, based on what Oregon told me before, this is not indie. I wouldn't even call it indie games. You shouldn't have brought up that phrase to begin with. I think this is more like just smaller or less well-known. Like, I chose two games on my list, or three games on my list that have quite, you know, followings, but they're still just, like, kind of under the radar compared to what the people, people generally think of when they think of video game industry, I think. Yes, and I... I, I do regret the title because I hate the certain fandom that gets attached to quote-unquote indie games. So I used, does it have a very small team working on it? Does it get the indie tag on Steam? And is this published by one of the big major publishers? And if it checks any of those boxes, then okay, it's here to talk about. Because this is kind of like an extended suggestions of the week, kind of a... These are the kind of lesser games that we like to play on our off time. And also, I know, well, this is the thing I was thinking about. I don't know if you're a fan of indie games or just the time that you were really obsessed with Undertale lodged in my brain so hard that that is all I think about when I think about you and games. So, first of all, that's interesting that you think about me when it regards to that. Undertale, I would say, is in my top five permanently, definitely. Like, But also, in up there is... You know, Soulsborne, Mass Effect, Final Fantasy X, Borderlands. So I have plenty. I, I have varied tastes. Indie games in general, there was a span of time where indie games were, like, very dominant. Yep. They they tend to be fun when you've got a creator who has a very novel idea and the kind of thing that isn't going to normally fly with like those big publishers so i would say that in general i'm not a huge indie game fan mostly because there's so much entertainment in the world and i only have so much time in the day and the number of indie games because the tools allow people to be indie developers a lot easier now are so numerous and no offense but a lot of them tend to be undercooked for a lot oh, mostly yeah. mostly because it's a you know experiments or people who are amateurs and yeah, I still see something every now and then that like some of my friends would recommend to me that I love, but Undertale was literally an exception because Undertale was made by primarily one guy. He had hired out people, and then it turned into like one of the biggest freaking things on the internet. So it's for good reason, but it's it's an exception to this whole kind of conversation. Like I would not classify at this point Undertale as an indie game, even though it definitely is. So Yeah. Now there was a couple like 
We'll have to decide if Paradox counts as a smaller game publisher or not. What does Paradox do? They're best known for... Deal Division is a big one they do. And City, a, Skylines, Europa, Universalis, yeah, and Crusader Europa, Kings. Yeah, Crusader Kings is their big one. They have a very unique style. And they're smaller, but also they have a very devoted fandom. So, yeah, I would say that anyone listening to this, don't take our quote-unquote categorization too heavily. This is just, like, games that feel to us... Like, they definitely aren't AAA, or at the very least are, like, under the radar compared to the other things. I know I have at least two games in my list that I'm betting some people would qualify as, like, very mainstream, but I still wouldn't qualify them as AAA for a number of reasons. I mean, we both remember that period from, like, 2003 to 2008 where every every game was 8-bit graphics, text-driven copy paste iterator you're thinking too far back that was more like more like 2010 to tw- or like 2008 to 2015 <laughs> yeah okay well but you remember that time period and i don't know i kind of like turned off indie games for a hot second because it's like even yahtzee kind of called it out and it's like listen 8-bit is not the end-all be-all innovate and have fun gameplay don't just focus on shoehorning everything into look at my retro game style yeah, well, plus, generally speaking, lower bit counts are supposed to be complemented by using the – you freed up your system and your development time to do other things that are interesting. Like, Undertale works in part because it also is a crazy bullet hell when it comes to the combat. So, But it's another thing entirely. So, like, let me give an example. One of the, li- one of the games on my list that I think barely qualifies but does – because I remember it going around the internet sphere for a while, which is why I found out about it, and it got released on, like, Switch and stuff. But have you played Darkest Dungeon? I've heard of Darkest Dungeon. Darkest what do you know Dungeon, about it? It's a roguelike that is really hard. Is that all you know? Yes. Okay. That means that you've managed to avoid the main thing about it that makes it unique and again i don't know the team behind it but everything about its what its marketing is has indicated to me that this isn't a triple a title someone could correct me it is a kind of like a sprite game so the the animation is all very simple it's like kind of pictures that move think like paper mario kind of style but it's not you know cartoony it's actually extremely gothic and and dark and i mean gothic in like the old school usage of the word and the basic premise is that you are – you're basically a Lovecraftian protagonist who is called to your family estate where your family members essentially that you haven't been in contact with for some period of time have uncovered something underneath the estate, and they need your help to deal with it. And along the way, you hire teams to go into the underground. So calling it a roguelike is only half right because – each individual dungeon is kind of like a mini roguelike, but you still have this overtime thing where your heroes have skills and they level up. Not that far, but there's RPG elements there. But even that isn't the main gimmick going on. The main gimmick, besides having you know your your four characters in a really cool combat system where it's like based on placement and your enemy's placement as well as your own placement, is mental stats. And what I mean by that is Characters can get mental traits that have positive and negative effects upon 
your gameplay. Like, oh, my rogue character called the Highwayman just got hemophobia. So now he's terrified of blood. So if some enemy causes bleeding to him, then it screws him up even more. Meanwhile, my crusader somehow caught kleptomania and now he keeps stealing items before I can pick them up off the ground. <laughs> so, or on a, on a positive side, you could get like, Oh, my, my, uh, my healer, I Vestal. That's right. My Vestal just got like bravery. So now they can basically like push through certain enemy effects. So there's this whole mechanic system of, of mental traits and they hold over between dungeons and so you have to like manage them if you if a one of your guys gets like too full of negative mental traits and they become kind of like unusable and you have to like actually send them to 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 the right places to get help or to deal this so there's this whole system that ties into how these sprites are people it's hard to explain but it's it's very addictive it's also very self-serious and normally i'm not into that but the the super gothic vibe works very well when, you know, it's literally this idea of like a hero sitting around a campfire while the horrors of eldritch monstrosities are coming in from the shadows. So, yeah, no, this game, I've known of it for a while because it was really popular there when it first launched. And aren't there a couple spinoffs from it as well? Like, isn't there a tower one? If there are, I'm not aware of it. I know Darkest Dungeon 2 was uh, had a trailer a while back. I don't know if it's actually come out. I yet. just thought like the developers went and did like took the mechanic and did things that it's also entirely possible that as was the pattern is the pattern. Other game devs took their idea and then built their own game around it. So there's similarities. People compared it to each other. I believe that. Like I said, it was it was big enough that like. It's larger than most titles, I think, released like it, but it still has that feeling of a very small, kind of intimate game. But it's very easy to dump 100 hours into it, I tell you. So. Yeah, well, isn't this one that was also kind of like when it first came out was heavily credited with reinventing the roguelike genre? I don't know about that much. It, it's, it added something to the roguelike genre I feel like has never been, or had not been a thing before. And also it's got a thing going on where, so you can have... On any given dungeon, you can send four heroes as a team, right? Yeah. You can have you can have a stable of heroes though that's up to like thirty, so you can mix and match depending on their strengths with each other, and you can send different teams to different things. And you play out. It's not like it's not like one of those gotcha games where you just send it out and wait. No, you you play out the dungeons one at a time. But this also means that if a character dies, they're just dead. Period. They're gone, and you're gonna have to go hire a new hero Ooh. to fill their gap. I so, like permadeath in my in my games. Yeah, Dark Dungeon is a permadeath game. And at the at the very end, I never got to the end, mostly because I not because of, like I hit a difficulty wall or anything, just because the game is so has so much in it that I just never reached it because I I like I said I have a lot of things to do. But I know at the very end you you go into the darkest dungeon, which is actually available from the very beginning, but obviously you'll get murdered if you go into it from the beginning. <laughs> so <laughs> I like that it sets up. You can jump into the knee grinder if you think you're ready, but uh... I actually don't know. I think that there's a a loose time limit. No, you set a difficulty at the beginning of the game. It has three difficulties. It has a normal difficulty, an easy difficulty, and a hard difficulty. And I believe at the hard difficulty, 
you get a a loose timer. Like if you don't go into the darkest dungeon by a certain number of days, quote unquote, or weeks, I think is the actual time frame, then something I think it's just game over. I'm not sure what the I didn't play Thank on a different day, I played on medium, so if that's your bag, good for you. But I play games to relax. I play some games on the really high difficulty. It just depends on what I'm trying to get out of it. But that's a whole other conversation, I think. And I don't have enough time in the day to have my game giving me anxiety. Anyway, that's just one of the ones that I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of. I got it on Switch and PC because it deserves tension and money and stuff. What, do you, what about you? Pick one. Uh, I've got one that is most definitely indie developer in that it's only two guys i think it's a two to three man development team and i talked i've talked about this before on the podcast and that's uh kingdoms and castles i don't know if you picked this one up yet or even seen this one i have not even seen it this i this game i will credit where is necessary is still an early access game i've been with it since shortly after launch and it's really cool to watch it grow but it is a city simulator game but a castle is how it works basically okay in that you start and you play and you start these little maps and you place your castle and then you place down some houses and then you place down some roads and then you start building the economy and it gets bigger and builder and you get more access to more resources and you get access to more people but that in turn means access to better resources and having played this game from when it was, you know, very early in the early access was very basic to where it is now. This is such a fun, addictive game. So what's and the it, premise? You are trying to build your city to the biggest it possibly can while fending off attacks from Vikings and dragons. Okay, city builder. I'm yeah, on board. it's a very simple city builder that keeps expanding and growing and changing. Like the latest update that just entered that is in beta now adds AI kingdoms that will declare war on you, open trade with you, or uh, negotiate with you, depending on the AI's preference and your preference and how you deal with various invasions. And it's so impressive. See, it's done with like a three-man team. And it has this. This is my one of my most soothing games. I will put on a podcast or something to listen to, and then play for hours trying to build my little city to be. And it's all about maximizing everything, maximizing relationships. Of certain buildings give buffs to other buildings and debuffs to others. To structuring your defenses for those inevitable Viking attacks, which get incredibly hmm. increasingly stronger. Laying out your roads so that everyone can get the crops back to the silos in time so you don't run out of food in the winter. And it's all in a very, very, very simple art style of I think that the people are make two, three pixels, but they're, you know, different colored ones. And it just has a very relaxing, enjoyable view to it. And it's so much fun. Like a lot of people go like, well, you can kind of, you know, complete your map in like four hours play. Like, Yeah. And that's when you go and you start another one and you're like, okay, how can I make it bigger and better this time? What can I do to innovate this time? Uh, It's certainly got kind of, I'm just looking at Google Images, and it does have kind of a Civ meets Minecraft kind of aesthetic. Yeah, I I call it, it's a very soothing art style to me. Is there an end? You said you can build it up in like four hours. What what do you do then? Is there like a, a cap you get to or you just go until you don't want to go anymore? You go until you want to go, don't go on to go anymore, because each time you reach a new population limit, your keep upgrades and you get a new type of city. Okay. 
But basically the game is, and let's say you fill the entire map with your city. Now you're trying to go back and fix previous mistakes. Like, okay, I am overproducing wheat and I'm underproducing pork. So I'm going to just shift some things so that I can balance that out so that I can produce more because the more food varieties you have, the happier your citizens are. But there's a supply chain that happens with your food. Well, now it sounds like a Sims game, kind of. There's a little bit of Sims to it. And again, it started as a very simple game, but each time they release another thing, they're adding more content. This newest patch is going to have jousting, trade, negotiations, diplomacy. It's adding more complexity. But that's what's fun, is it seems like every time you've kind of mastered the newest things they've added, they go, okay, here's the next thing we're adding. Now figure this into your perfect build order, your perfect structuring system, your plan for how you play this game. Because, like, the biggest reset for me was when they introduced Plague, because you have to have doctors to, you know, counter Plague, but doctors require money, and money isn't something you can typically get, you know, early on. Mm -hmm. So you'll have a Plague come, and you can't afford doctors. Well, now there's bodies in the streets, because you can't really afford, you know, because your graveyard keepers are hurting, and that creates even deadlier Plagues. Mm. Nurgle would be pleased. Yes, there's all sorts of kind of, and it's again, this is like three guys developing this game, but the it's a fun, complex city builder without being too complex, you know? Mm. Like, you know, someone throw way too much at you, and you're like, listen, I'm not a city planner, I just want to build a cool little kingdom. That's fair, yeah. And that's what I think, my favorite thing about this, is a lot of city builders, they just, it's too much, you know? Like, yeah. You, yeah, like, I don't want to balance taxes and water pressure and subway layouts i just want to watch my little ant colony and that <laughs> is this game this game is a little soothing ant colony that gets it's it's really fun and again i think it's that the people's movement is just the pixels kind of bob up and down hmm. as they move okay. it's very soothing when you play it on high speed because it's hmm. all these little colored pixels just running around the screen kind of bobbing to simulate motion okay this is, it's very relaxing. This is my go-to. I want to desync. The only problem I really, like I said, is, have, is once you've mastered whatever they've put out up to that patch, you're like, okay, I have mastered this as much as I can until the next thing comes and changes the formula. All right. And with AI kingdoms, I feel like that's going to be a new one because now you're balancing your kingdom, you're preparing for attacks, and you have to keep one eye on that AI player over there. It's like, are you an aggressive AI? Are you a, you know defensive ai are you a trading ai what are you going to be and you're back to something like civ again so yes it's but even civ gets kind of too complex and not complex enough at the same time fair like there's definitely layers i don't know i really enjoy the hell out of this game and i feel like it is a true indie game in that there's three people in the studio that's okay true enough i suppose like this kind of started as just a fan project amongst friends that they're like you know what maybe we should uh, try and launch this all right, cool. I mean, my next one is, I don't know how many people are on the team, but it definitely seems, feels, and expresses much more of the kind of qualities you're looking at, which is, have you heard of For the King? Yes, I think this is on my wish list. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, For the King is, oh man, how do I explain it? So design-wise, it's a medieval RPG, kind of on a hex-based map that's treated kind of like a board game where you and up to two friends, which is definitely how you should play it, with two friends and not on your own. I mean, you can enjoy it on your own, but 
this game gets a lot out of playing with multiple people. You each take control of a character that they they've got you know a pretty a pretty basic class system that establishes what kind of weapons you're good at and whatnot things like although they're a little odd like your basic warrior archetype is called the blacksmith <laughs> I don't know why but whatever anyway you it's basically like if you ever played a JRPG and felt like man I wish my friends could just have control of the other characters and we can play together the combat of this game is that. And then the overworld is basically like something like Heroes of Might and Magic or or even something like Civ, where you're going across this hex board and you have some quests. There are different scenarios with different quests. Like one of the ones that me and my friends played was, uh, I think, Stop the Necromancer, who had like this tower at the top of the, the map. And so, you know, you have seasons and whatnot. And you start off at this little hamlet and you, you go out and you try to level up and collect gear and then eventually we went to the tower and we tried to fight to the tower and we all lost and again this has that roguelike quality of that whole experience probably took maybe like three sessions at a few hours a piece so like you know you're looking at like a six to nine hour campaign and then we lost against the final boss and that was it we're done we lost so but that's kind and how do i explain there's just a lot going on in it that's very kind of under the surface. Like yeah. how economy kind of works is – I don't even know how to explain it properly. But it's a great game. It's especially great if you have two friends to play it with. And it somehow combines the feeling of playing a board game with that feeling of, like, couch co-op, even if you're not actually uh-huh. doing couch co-op. I do it with no. friends online, but – so I, I do have this game because I got it free off Epic. I've never played it, but I'm just looking at like screenshots of it. And like I love the world map. Yeah. Like it looks like a really cool, really fun board game. And the, the aesthetic decision of the game is that everything looks kind of claymation-y, which. Yeah, kind of like claymation, kind of cardboard, kind of Rankin Bass. Like there's literally the grumble from uh, Rudolph as one of the bosses, it looks like. Yeah, basically. And it makes everything feel like it has this kind of, like, weight. Like, everything just feels, like, almost tangible. Like, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, I love me a good uh, cel-shaded sprite animated game, but something about this, like, pseudo-3D thing going on for the king makes it feel like, okay, I get why you would do this from a development standpoint, because that looks like you're probably using pretty basic assets that you're playing around with, and those are probably easy to manipulate, but it actually has a pretty good overall aesthetic that it delivers on then because of this so yeah i know this has a very eye-catching aesthetic i haven't played this game i only picked it up because it was on epic for free and i'm like you know what even if i don't play it a free game is always good to have yeah and i have it on steam so it's available on probably a bunch of platforms that's another thing too every game that i'm going to mention i have on my steam account so i don't know if they're available other places but anything i'm talking about here is available on steam yeah no i think all my yeah all my games are on my steam account i have an epic that I use sometimes. But I, really yeah, I don't use Epic on, for lack of a better term, principle, which makes me really sad because I wish I was playing Tiny Tina's Wonderlands right now, but I gotta wait for it to get out of Epic jail. So. <laughs> they give me free games every once in a while, and that's all I really, that's as far as I thought bothered to look like, oh, cool, free games. Okay, cool. Anyway, <laughs> I think For the King is also very cheap, even if you don't get it like for free, like, Oh, right now, do. it's $20 on Steam, or you get the Deluxe Edition 
for $22.08, which gets you for the King and Lost Civilizations Adventure Pack. Yeah, do that. And it's for 20 bucks essentially. It's Oh, there's a bunch days. of cosmetic stuff that's free. Yeah, it is days of fun with, with your friends. So wow. and again, yeah. it it might be good solo too. I I've played games like Total War Solo, and I have you know, it has like a similar kind of play loop, I think, but it's really made for for groups. So as a bunch of free content, that feels like a good reason to get it if, for me. All right. Your next one. This one, again, this I think informs not only the games I like to play, but the person I am. That's Broforce. Now, I know Broforce. I've watched Woundvog play Broforce. I love Broforce. Broforce so is many a hours funny on game. Yeah. Yes. In that Broforce is a side-scrolling shooter of the old-school variety where you get to play as quintessential action heroes with bro forced somewhere in their name yeah they're all references to to something there's like, robocop there's brochetti i can't remember some are really forced and painful and it's like really there's brogyver but what makes it fun is each one of these characters has a different type of attack and special attack that's tied to whoever they're based on sorry i now have to look up some lists rambro yep bro hard Yep. McBrover is who you mentioned. Yep. Bro Dread. <laughs> yeah, like I said, some are really forced. Like, okay. Bro in Black. <laughs> Love that. Yep. Ash Bro Broliums. That's forced, yep. but I'm, I'm with it anyway. Oh, Ellen Ripbro. <laughs> yep. Because there's ladies in this one as well. They don't dis- discriminate. Uh, the Bro Dater, which is the Predator. Bro Heart. So and, oh, uh, Dirty Broly. Or bro, brewery. That's hard to say. B r o r y. Yeah, but it's just fun, and like it starts with just parodying the typical '80s action fare of go here, shoot the quote the terrorists. But what's really fun is you unlock extra lives by rescuing other bros, but you don't get to pick the bro that's coming in. So they each have different fighting styles. So it's like you're say you're doing the street, shoot them up once, like oh, and I just unlocked. I think he's called the bro, which is Neo, who is a close combat, you know, bro character. So you have to switch your style. And of course, the environment is entirely destructible. So you can end up blowing up and falling to your death. But it evolves because then you go on and now you're fighting demons from hell hmm. because reasons. And then uh, a little side mission to go and fight aliens and contain the alien infestation as it grows around the world. And it is such a fun, simple, twin-stick, side-scrolling shooter that is so much fun. And it just, the amount of effort they put into creating all these different characters and giving them each a unique thematic attack. Mm-hmm. Like the Broder, when he dies, he blows up. Which one is the Broder? That's the Predator. The pre- Oh, the Brodator. Oh, the bro. Yes, okay, that makes sense. And he has his secondary attack is to throw a spear. Of course. Uh, McBrover throw his primary attack is to throw out, you know, time bombs. And his special attack is to throw out a turkey with a bomb stuffed in it. <laughs> Point is, it's it's a bullet hell-ish kind of game where you're playing like Metal Slug, but there's just super comedic because of all the references, essentially. Yes. Dirty Broey, who is Dirty Harry, has six extremely powerful shots. Of course. 
five shots or six. <laughs> yep. Bro, Broade, which is Blade. I don't remember what his special attack is, but he's got a sword. And it's, again, it is such a simple but such a fun game. Mm-hmm. Because you're like, you go out of your way to rescue, you know, bros. Not only do you get the extra life, but to unlock an extra character. Because you're like, ooh, who did I get this time? And how bad is the pun name going to be? Because Axel Kind when there's some really forced, really bad ones. You're like, ooh, really? You're you're going with that? I, I know you wanted Ellen Ripley, but what is it? Ellen Bro Ripley? Ripley? No, it's, I think it's Ellen Rip Bro. Rip well, yeah, it's like, oof. And, like, the saddest thing is they end the game with tease of a sequel we have yet to get. And it's like, oh, I need that in my life. Yeah, I, I love games like that, though, that are just so... I mean, I'm a big fan of tongue-in-cheek, as I mentioned earlier. I just... I, well, like you said, games are meant to... You're meant to have fun with them, right? And I like plenty of pretty serious games. I'm really big into Bloodborne, and I'm into that right now, which is a super serious game. But I also like games a lot like Borderlands that will just kind of take the piss out of themselves. Yeah, and now it's both relaxing and incredibly frustrating because some of those alien levels are just classic arcade, how am I supposed to beat this? Yeah, well, again, I played a lot of Metal Slug, so I it's get that. It's a lot like, like they will start, like there's certain parts where if you don't destroy the egg, they just keep hatching more aliens at increased level until you're overwhelmed. Ooh. There are certain missions where you have to keep moving forward because there's just a spawning wave behind you. And again, in true bullet hell fashion, it's one hit, one kill. Of course. So well, you have, uh, you have, as you mentioned before, and I've watched this, you do have spare bros. So as soon as you die, you can have another bro come in to a certain extent. Yeah. And it really sucks. It's like some bros are really good on certain missions. And then other times you draw one, it's like, oh... You are not what I need for this mission. Isn't Arnold Schwarzenegger like referenced like in three different bros? <laughs> there's Command Bro. There's the Terma Bro. And the There's Bronan. I, yeah, so he's referenced multiple times. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so great. I love this game. This is again one of those ones that both relaxes and infuriates me depending on the mission. So one thing I'm realizing as we're talking is that generally speaking, so I mentioned Darkest Dungeon, I mentioned For the King, and Darkest Dungeon I play on my own, For the King I play with friends. But generally speaking, when I end up playing games like this, they don't tend to be single-player games. There are exceptions to this, like Darkest Dungeon. But usually if I'm getting made aware of a game that fits this kind of category, it's because one of my friends brought it up, and they're like, hey, here's some crazy thing we can do together. For example, have you heard of The Ship? No. So the ship is the greatest game that I've only ever played twice (laughs) because it's literally a game that the more people you have, the better time you're going to have. So we generally we only played it the twice. We had over six people to play. And Mm. it is like this way. Among Us became a giant cultural or Internet phenomenon. And while I like Among Us just fine. I was disappointed that the ship didn't have the same kind of effect because the ship to me is was like Among Us before Among Us was a thing. But it's a little different. So the basic idea of the ship is, first of all, it's it's like an old like DOS kind of game 
So it's kind of hard to, you actually have to have someone who kind of knows what they're doing, set up a server so you can play with your friends. But once you do, you have this, you're in a first person kind of thing and you're controlling a character like almost like late nineties computer game. It kind of looks like very basic and you're on a cruise ship and you have a, you have your, your name, but you also have like a character name. Now everyone knows who each other's character names are or their, your game name, but you don't know what characters other people are playing and you are given a target. So your goal is to find your target and kill them, but without being spotted and without being killed by whoever's targeting you. It's basically like if Among Us, but everyone was an imposter. Mm. So, but here's uh, more details. Your goal isn't just to kill. Your goal is to have the most money at the end of the game because the game is played in rounds, rounds that are continuous. So you have one target and then you've got like, like three to five minutes. Plus, there's a list of items that are worth more money when you use them as a murder weapon. And everyone can see the list. So literally, you could be like, yeah, you could find a Tommy gun and kill your target with that. But if that's not on the list, then you're not going to get any extra money. You might get like the basic 2000 But if you find <laughs> if you find a, a kitchen knife and kill him with that, and that's like at the top of the list, boom, extra 10000 money. So it's not just find your target. It's also find an item that's at the high part of the list. And you can't do any of your killing or stealing or going into uh, areas while there's, like, crew members of the ship watching you. Because then you'll get arrested, which means that all the weapons on you get taken, you have to pay a fee, and you have to spend, like, 30 seconds in a prison cell. This very much sounds like Among Us. Yeah. Like it inspired Among Us in a lot of ways. Exactly. And so... And so, like, you can get caught all you want. It doesn't stop you from playing, but you're going to be st- you're going to lose 30 seconds, lose weapons and lose t- uh, money. And so you- but I played in the last time we played the number one item on the that was going to make like a ton of money was a shiv. And the only way to find a shiv was to purposely get arrested and pull the shiv from the prison cell. And four times I got arrested, got a shiv, got out. And failed to kill my target and had to get arrested again as the rounds were starting. It was it became a thing where I was like, I'm not giving up until I kill someone with the damn shiv. So <laughs> Alrighty then. I can get behind that single mindedness. Yeah. And of course again, there are plenty of it, it's the kind of game that creates interesting moments. Like there's a great moment where I was walking around, and of course, you, you keep your weapons hidden. Like, no one can see what weapons you have until you pull out a weapon. So, like, you know, again, like kind of an old school game. And so I'm like, I'm walking down a hallway. I have I have plenty of weapons. I have not found my target. Oh, by the way, even once you kill your target, it doesn't mean you're safe because you're still someone else's target. So then your goal becomes to keep safe until the round's over. And you can't just go around killing people because if you kill people, like, without any – just keep on killing people who aren't your target, you get booted out of the round. You just get, you just lose straight up. So you have to be surgical and tactical. But anyway, so I'm like, I'm walking down a hall and I turn around and I see someone following me and they're just walking towards me. So I go, hmm. And so I went into a room and I closed the door and then I put my back against the other wall facing the door. And then about 10 seconds later, the door opens up and my friend Josh, who I can hear because we're in chat, he, he walks in. And then he closes the door behind him, and then I just pull out a Winchester and shoot him. <laughs> and just, we all start laughing because it was hilarious. So yeah, but that's the kind of experience that the ship gives. So 
Interesting. Now, I wonder, like, Among Us, is it just because Among Us struck at the perfect time that it was able to take that formula and blow the doors off, or... I think the fact that Among Us also... Because I remember tracing this. It was a certain Let's Player. Because Among Us had been out for quite a while without hitting big. But yeah. there was a certain Let's Player that stumbled upon it. And then their videos got big. And then suddenly all the Let's Players were playing it with their groups. And that, like, that's mean, why it got big. So. It was a great game for Let's Plays. No question about it. Yeah. And so the ship... The ship is a little older, so it doesn't look as cute as Among Us. It's also because, like I said, it's a little harder to actually play with your friends because you need someone who's knowledgeable about that kind of stuff. It It's not quite as accessible. But if you have the friend group and if you get it running, I honestly think it's a much better experience than Among Us. Especially because – but it's a different one because Among Us has the whole, like, you have to lie your way through it. Uh, and, yeah. And, like, the rounds can last quite a, a while. But – in the ship, it's not really about lying. It's more about the chaos of just being in chat and hearing someone be like, just start screaming. And you're like, whoa, what's going on? It's like, I just got shot with a shotgun or something. Like, whoa, <laughs> why are you pulling a katana, bro? So you're, just, you're hearing this stuff happen. So. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Anyway, I highly recommend the ship. I have a friend, Mikey, who literally has picked it up every single time it's gone on sale. So he just has like 30 keys for it so that anytime we're in a group large enough and someone doesn't have it, he just gives them a key so we can play. <laughs> Not a bad way to do it. Yeah. Cause I think normally it's like 10 bucks for, for the game. So. All right. Interesting. All right. We, this is a very older game. The one I want to talk about next. And it is a multiplayer game. It's probably the only multiplayer game on this list. It's the only about multiplayer game I really play semi-consistently. And that is Hold Fast Nations at War. I don't know that one. It is a Napoleonic third-person, no, first-person, well, first-person, third-person shooter. Okay. In that, ideally, the game is you and up to... I think they've got the servers up to 75 it's 150 players so about 50 to 75 depending on how full the servers can get other players fight in napoleonic line style battles with single shot smooth bore muskets artillery and cavalry and whatnot okay <laughs> wait oh, yeah. so i'm looking at images here how many characters do you control as a player one you are a single infantryman okay okay yeah, you're a single infantryman, grenadier, all the little fun historical stuff is there. All of it's represented semi-accurately, like uniform-wise and whatnot. You get bonuses for fighting in a line and cooperating. The game works best when you fight in a line and cooperate. So it's got kind of a... I'm just looking at images here, and it reminds me of... It sounds like it's got kind of like a battlefield... Or sorry, not battlefield, battlefront kind of loot, it's, but done yeah. historical so yeah now that said i typically play with voice chat shut off ah. because the community is a youtube comment section come to life that tends to happen with most games that have a voice chat yes and it's considered one of the positives of the game is, well, the community's just so damn random. <laughs> and I'm an old crotchety man. 
And I do not think blasting Hitler speeches at max volume is random and funny. Yeah, um, fair. Who boy does some of the community think that overlaid with techno just funny shit? Yeah, no. I mean, I like randomness a lot. I'm a big fan of Russian Badger, but there are lines. So Yeah, no. So there is a fair amount of that. So be warned, it is there. But the core structure of the game is a lot of fun because when you come across people that are playing the game the way the devs intended it to, which is you need to organize into a line because you can't hit the broad side of a barn because these are smooth bore black powder muskets. So you need to line up and you need to volley fire, you need to coordinate. It is some of the most intense, fun stuff I've ever played. Glad to hear it. Because you get these great things, like there's these great siege battles where you, everyone's, you know, siege battles are hard because you're trying to take, they have cover, they have advantage. So you have your commanders trying to coordinate the artillery guys with your cannons, and they're trying to coordinate going up. Oh, that shot was a little bit too low, up by five degrees, left two degrees. So when it's good, it's really good. It's really fun. It's just, I really can't stand some of the jackasses that play it and think that's how it should be done. Mm, unfortunate but you know everything can be perfect i guess yeah. but of course this is a, a historical kind of game so yeah it definitely seems right up your alley so yeah well it recently released a free lc that overhauled the game to be a world war one version mm, okay and i haven't really had a chance to play much of that because it's super new super well polished for the game and there's not enough servers which is the only real problem ever complete with this game they do not have nearly enough servers for the volume of players this gets regularly like this i is mean surprisingly a high volume game i will say that's a not a terrible problem to have it means that you got a lot of more players than you need and so yeah and they're frequently working on it they're always introducing new nations and they're always free I mean, the only real DLC is for getting different outfits and uniforms. I will say that... Okay, so cosmetic kind of things. Okay. Yes. There is a certain line of, like, while I am cheap in general because I grew up very poor and I have a lot of expenses, there's also a thing about, like, if I like a game, I do want to make sure they are making their money. Example, I'm a huge fan of Baldur's Gate 3, and I have no idea how they're making money right now since they don't have DLC stuff and they've just been in green light for like, or in, you know, early access for like a year. And I'm worried about them because I'm like, I want this game to be released full. So how do you make money? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, no. And I mean, other flip side, this isn't something I've looked into, but it has a dedicated, well-supported regiment system, mm -hmm. which is stylized of people pick historical regiments and then build from there down. With the generals, the brigadier generals, the lieutenants, this down and down and down and down. And they meet and organize in big, formal, historically accurate battles, hmm. which are some of the funnest things to watch on YouTube because they're done really well. And to watch the smoothness that these guys, it's like watching a really well done historical epic in that they all go, the whole line wheels, they kneel, they fire, they shout the commands, they're all in it. And the game supports it. Like, there's a whole system that the game wants to be that, but it has the community it has. <laughs> and you can tell the developers are like, they play, they keep numbers up. Our mods will do our best. But yeah. at the end of the day, someone's got to pay for this. And unfortunately, that's kids who think 
Stalin was a hero. All right. Not, not, yep, definitely not. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I fairly want I love this game. I hate the community. I have a very low tolerance for internet bullshit, and that is just, I hate you all. Yeah. All right. So the next one I want to talk about is one that I just got into literally very recently, which is, so I mentioned Baldur's Gate. I'm not talking about that because that's a big game by Larian Studios, who is awesome, but not relevant here. So for those who don't know, Baldur's Gate 3, right, is just Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, but in video game form. And so I've been playing that with a bunch of friends, but we were like, oh man, this game's in early access. We can only get up to level four and there's not all the classes and we want to have the same kind of experience we're having, but more of it. And then we, you know, we have to wait for Baldur's Gate 3 to come out. And then finally, Wretched, a frequent friend of the, the podcast, found this game called Solasta Crown of the Magister that is essentially the same kind of thing. It's Again, it's less polished because it's a Kickstarter game, but they managed to get the rights to use 5th edition's mechanical systems, and it goes all the way up to, like, level 12, and it's got two fully built campaigns. Each one's, like, 60 hours long or something like that, and we haven't even gotten that far. I've only played it for maybe, like, 20 or 30 hours so far with a bunch of different characters. I've, I've made... A rogue, I've made a cleric, I've made a barbarian, I've made a wizard, and if you just have that vibe or that feeling of like, again, I've got three friends that I want to maybe like play a D&D kind of game with, but none of us want to be a dungeon master or something, then, which by the way you should, but besides the point, then boom, so lost a crowd of the manager, you get that kind of experience with your friends. And also the game has this really interesting thing where your characters will have frequent conversations with each other. That's awesome. Yeah, and it creates a real feeling of being like a group of people who are traveling together and not just four independently created characters, you know? Yeah, I always thought it was weird that Hasbro Wizards of the Coast hasn't invested in doing a digital D&D like that. Yeah, I mean, that's The IP is well known enough, but for people like you and I, it's like we really can't, coordinate all the pieces to do a D&D game and I mean Diablo was wildly popular for a reason yeah well for the record that is what Baldur's Gate 3 will be when it's fully released but yeah the fully released yeah until then Solasta is much closer so yeah and I'm just saying like I feel like that's money on the table that other people could be doing I mean no one says you have to be D&D just any generic fantasy with basic role playing. Again, Diablo was a it was a big thing for a reason. Yeah, and again, these are the kind of people. These are my friends that like we just want to do things together, and they all live six hours away from me. Yep. So it's finding activities that we can do together online. And for the king is a great one. Solasta is a great one. And now we have a thing where like every Thursday we just play a game together, and we were playing Baldur's Gate, and then we kind of reached an end-ish point in Baldur's Gate, and so now we're playing Solasta. So. Yeah, no, digital D&D, good God. I feel like even, you don't even have to do high-end graphics, the biggest thing, just open well, up, oh, there's so many possibilities. Well, for the record, the reason why Larian Studios even got the rights to do Baldur's Gate 3 is because they basically did it already with Divinity 1 and Divinity 2, which are yeah. two games that were... Are, uh, are much closer to this whole indie conversation, but they were essentially Larian saying to Wizards of the Coast, here's the kind of game we can make 
please let us use your IP so we can just do this, but actual D&D, and it finally worked. But yeah. all of Larian stuff is great. That's why I feel like at this point, Larian is well-known. I don't know the company behind Solasta. I just know it's a Kickstarter game, so that's you know deserves attention. Interesting. Well, that's about all the time we have for this week's episode. I definitely think if you guys want us to do, we can do more of these because I can scour my Steam library and dig up more games. I'm sure Axel can as well. Yes, for the record, if we were going any longer, I was going to talk about Skullgirls and Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, but save that for another time. Yeah, so again, let us know if you like this and you want us to talk about more indie games. We may talk about more indie games just because this is a good way to find new games to play. That's true. I mean, I looking at what Ulrich mentioned, I think that Holdfast might be an interesting thing to actually do with my brother. But uh, that's a conversation for later. So I I think you'd love it just because you'd be swearing going, how did I miss him? He was 10 feet from me. I mean, that sounds like a musket. So, <laughs> yep. Uh, anyways, let's move into suggestions of the week. What you got for us? Well, I would suggest Doctor Strange 2, which is quite good. But honestly, I know it's going to get plenty of people to go see it. It doesn't Half need my help. dollar opening weekend. <laughs> yeah. So instead, I'm going to suggest, again, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is a similar movie that is better. Again, no offense Doctor Strange. It's a good movie. But Everything Everywhere All at Once is a much better multiverse sci-fi character piece that is currently making less money than Morbius. And that's a fucking crime against cinema. So no one should have gone to see Morbius. You yeah, all know so, better. So I'm going to use my time to, again, everything, everywhere, all at once. If you have the opportunity to see it in a way that actually supports the movie, I know you could wait until it's available somewhere for free. And normally I do that for most things. But this movie needs love, please. <laughs> Goddamn. I just made me remember Morbius existed and then it made money. Yeah, yeah, that's sad. Anyway, I've talked about what everything ever wall once is before, so I'm not going to belabor the point here. It's Michelle Yeoh in a badass, crazy sci-fi multiverse movie. Also, the kid who played Short Round in, in uh, Temple of Doom and was also in The Goonies, he retired from acting for like 20-some years. This is his first role back afterwards, and he kills it. Like, absolutely kills it. So, Well, if I remember correctly, he came back for this specifically because he stopped acting as he thought there weren't any good roles for asian men that was the uh in interview he was having on i don't know what talk show it was i watched the interview he said that yeah he quit he retired from acting because there wasn't good opportunities for asian men and then he saw the movie crazy rich asians a couple years ago and that's what gave him that's the, the one, yeah yeah that's what gave him the comp- yeah i haven't seen it but i've heard but the point is that that movie gave him the confidence to call his old agent, essentially, and be like, can you get me into something? And this was apparently one of the first scripts they handed to him, and he was like, this is amazing, and he kills in the movie. So, No, it's definitely on my watch list if I can ever find the time to get to a movie again outside of my one every six months that I seem to have fallen into. It's funny because I do feel like with Ulrich specifically, I think I've, – I said this to Ulrich outside of the recording, but I think he's going to like it. But he's going to have a lot of problems with it, and he's not going to love it, and he's going to think it's overhyped, because I know Ulrich, so... Yeah, that is my legitimate fear, is everyone has been talking about how great this is, and it's like, fuck, 
If I don't love it, I'm going to get shit for it. Here's what I will say. Here's here's what I think the key for you, Ulrich, is. Go in with the expectation of this is a parent-daughter movie. Oh, no, it's going to break me then. I'm saying, if you go in with that as your thing, I think you're going to get a lot more out of it. So. Oh, no, I'm going to be emotionally prepared now. Yep. Fuck. All right. Well, mine will call another page in the getting to know Ulrich better, especially his weird music tastes, is a band called The Who, and not The Who as in that awesome rock band, The Who as in The H-U. Ah, uh, Mongolian throat singing metal, right? Yes. I'm not sure. I was like, I don't know if it's folk metal or its own thing, but yeah. It has a name for a genre, but as me and Olga said before, metal is probably the most segmented and separated genre of music in existence so i don't know the specific words used for yep. the who no there's no genre of music that has more subgenres constantly spinning off from it and it's its biggest strength yeah as a fan of power metal celtic metal symphonic metal etc etc i'm uh, yes this is true <laughs> yeah no the who is awesome because they are this mongolian band that does everything on their own and they put out some of the most epic insane music videos that combines Genghis Khan with motorcycle culture which as Warhammer 40k fans we are kind of already aware of that with the white scars so yeah no this first came to my attention when someone said this is the music that Jagatai Khan would listen to definitely and it literally the music video is them dressed in traditional steepwear riding motorcycles with heavy metal guitars and traditional instruments singing in Mongolian and just going, this is fucking awesome. And it is. And they have slowly started gaining traction. I think they just got announced they're doing a U.S. tour with a couple other big bands. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, if you like Amana Marth, if you like, who else kind of falls in? I don't want to say. Sabaton, Manowar, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, if you like folk metal and you want something outside of the you know kind of unfortunately done to death viking folk metal check these guys out because so much energy goes into the crafting of this like i said they do these incredible music videos and it's all done by themselves just like duct tape and bubblegum it, it is funny sidebar the reason why viking metal feels played out is just because the the best scene for the metal subgenres, especially the folky ones, with Scandinavia, literally bands yeah. coming out of Denmark and Sweden. So, and they're cool. And if you love that showmanship that Amana Marth brings, you're gonna love what these guys do because right. it's a totally different sound. I have never watched their videos. I have seen, I've heard them pop up on my Spotify a number of times because, like I said, I'm into a lot of similar music, and their music is good. So, I'm I'll going to pop is, one. Of, I'm gonna pop. They're one of their, my favorite songs of theirs in the chat for you to watch later. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, follow, upvote, downvote, whatever it is that the algorithm of your choice is demanding of you, because that is the life and death of podcasts. And you're probably, if you can do that, it's on Spotify where we can be rated. But we're also available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, iHeartRadio, and the FiresideAlliance.com. The last of which would probably be where I'd prefer you listen to us because there's a lot of other awesome content creators in the Fireside Alliance. But you do you, boo. And if there's some other platform you want us on that make it easier for, for you, tell us what it is and we'll look into it.
As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.